There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 264. Super fun chat today with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was so incredibly warm and sweet and uh, and had a lot of really great stuff to say, and it was an absolute pleasure to chat with him. It was, it, it's always so cool to see someone who starts off in the business young, and then grows up to be a nice, responsible uh, individual. <laughs> it's totally, it seems like a totally normal guy. And then and then on top of that, to be able to evolve his career into a really serious acting career. When you think about the movies this guy does, um, he really is in some of the best stuff that the film industry has to offer. And I think he had a really good time on the episode as well, because um, after the show, it was like, hey man, thanks. And then and there was a nice hug. There was a nice, warm, like sincere hug. So all the ladies and or dudes who enjoy the Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, he will, he's, you're gonna melt a little bit. He's sweet and charming and handsome and sensitive, but not in a way where you're like, ugh, get over it. Like a, he's like a nice guy. Sincerely good dude. Am I gushing too much? By the way, I saw Looper. I saw Looper last week. Really fun movie. I love the Bruce Willis, like, kind of... Bruce Willis is his own sci-fi genre now, and uh, and Looper was a, was a terrific movie, so go out and see it if you get a chance. This particular episode of the Nerdist Podcast was kindly brought to you by Stamps.com. You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. You don't need to do anything, people. It's just... It, well, you have to do a model, a moderate amount of work of going to a computer and then clicking a couple things and then printing out the exact postage. It's just like, it's like modding your own postage. It's customizing your own postage. Did you realize the concept of that would have melted our grandparents' brains? They'd be like, what? Are you a billionaire? How do you have the post office print out odd numbered postage stamps? And why are they so expensive now? And then you'd have to figure out um, how you were talking to your grandparents in the old days. Are you in some sort of time traveler, or are they? Basically, you have a lot of stuff to work out with your grandparents, but it's all exciting. Kind of like Looper. See, I brought it back around unintentionally. But uh, stamps.com, if you packages, letters, whatever you need, you don't have to go to the post office. You can do it right from your own computer. And we have a promo code for Nerdist listeners. Uh, There's a no-risk trial, $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale up to $55 of free postage. Go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Nerdist. That is stamps.com and enter the promo code Nerdist. Also, uh, if you are in the Nashville area, I'll be performing in early December, I think the 6th through the 9th at Zany's. I'm st- I'm st- it's going to happen, people. I'm going back on the road to uh, work out the new hour. The Comedy Central special airs November 10th. Uh, it's called Mandroid. And uh, so all that material is, is, is burned, which means that uh, new material must take its place. And from the ashes must rise the comedy phoenix. So I'm going to be doing a bunch of shows coming up uh, in the next in the next several months on, on the road. So come help me work out the new set. Chris Hardwick, why do we want to see you work out the set? I want to see finished A-list material. I know but the process is fun. And then I'll probably talk to the audience more to fill time. And you know what happens. That means you could be involved in the show. Huh? Just like at medieval times where dinner is the show. Did I do that right? Episode number 264, the wonderful Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Nerdist Podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. So there we 
they're the guys that are like operating the remote controls and stuff to land that thing. Yeah. Wow. They're they really uh, good at video games. They're good at video games, but their precision with uh, space robots did not help their bowling any. <laughs> uh, all right. Hey, doing, sir. Oh, that's Nick. Oh, hi, I'm sorry. <laughs> Nick's in his own world there. I'm in my own, you know, I recognize people and I say, oh, okay, I'm doing the sea crush show. So Nick, Nick, pulls, Nick pulls clips for Ryan. What are you pulling today, Nick? Uh, right now working on whether the, if the refs settle tonight, you know. That sounds like sports, Nick. I'm already falling asleep. Yeah, yeah, we got to see what happens, but uh, uh, it's coming down. Okay. Should I have earphones too? The the uh, the headphone jack over there doesn't work. Okay. Because no one ever upkeeps this studio. Mm, all right. And uh, we don't own it, so we're like, let's just run it into the ground. We are waiting for essentially for the ceiling to cave in, and then no more podcasts. All right. It's awesome to have you on. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Uh, Anna Kendrick was on last week, and she was like, "Oh, you have to tell Joe." I said, "Hi." Yeah, she she's such adores a you. Yeah. I can't wait to see her in the movie. I know. Well, you guys, there's like, there's this really cool sort of like cadre of young actors, and Anna's in that, and you're in that. It's just, oh, it's just like of a nice, it's like a nice, nice group, of, nice group of people. I've never heard the word cadre used before. <laughs> sort of like a cluster. Sort well, of like it's a, a secret. French word, right? Doesn't that mean frame? Well, we uh, we had it in. I know it from my my Latin classes. Okay. Uh, when I was, I went to, I went to all boys like. Wow, so you studied Latin. Huh? Stu- had, I studied Latin, yeah. Wow. Why not study a dead language? <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like, you know, maybe it'll help me learn other languages. And? Well, I, I didn't really learn many other languages. No. So it, uh, it was, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's good, it's good to know. Never too late, man. Never too late. I, I feel like it's too late. No, I, I think you're wrong about that. What? It's never, it's never too late. Oh, my God, you're right. You've already <laughs> changed my life on the show, Joseph. Do you, yeah. do you, is it Joe, Joseph? Whatever you like, Jose, Giuseppe. Giuseppe. Yussel. When I, uh, <laughs> which is very appropriate. Very appropriate today. Uh, I saw Looper. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah. super, man, I, the most, I think one of the most fun things besides just the sci-fi element of the movie is, is watching your Bruce Willis mannerisms uh-huh. <laughs> uh, throughout the movie and just like little things that seem to happen in the background where you kind of do the side mouth like, yeah. <laughs> Is that what it is? It's, like, I, it's just that. <laughs> Isn't that what you remember from Die Hard? <laughs> yeah, that or Double Indemnity. <laughs> John uh, McClane. Yeah, man, I, it, it, was, it is a unique challenge in that way. And that's, that's always my favorite thing, acting, is, is becoming somebody else. Yeah. If I, if I see a movie I'm in and anything I do reminds me of me too much, I feel like I'm, I messed that part up. You know, I, want, I always want it to feel like somebody else there. And uh, most of my favorite performances... Are that you know they're 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 from these actors who are chameleons who you know they really disappear and you don't see them on the screen you see the character that they're playing in the story, and so the premise of Looper having to you know this time travel story where I'm playing uh, a, a younger version of the of you know of Bruce Willis um, really posed a unique challenge in that way that I had to transform myself more than than I ever had to before please tell me that you shadowed him all that, and then he would just like open his closet to get a tie and you're like <laughs> hey like, buddy Bruce. <laughs> how's it going good morning <laughs> is that how i sound did he yeah. do that at all is that how i fucking sound <laughs> he he did one time oh can we say fuck on this yeah show? you can say whatever you want oh uh this this changes things <laughs> uh he uh he he did one time he's a very understated guy and not not the kind of guy that'll butter you up or just throw out compliments very often but um but he did at one point, you know, just kind of offhandedly say, uh, oh, you sound like me. And I was like, yes! You know, <laughs> internally, I, I kept it cool on the outside, man. It was a big victory. Nothing against Bruce Willis, but young Bruce Willis never had as much hair in his head as you, just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well... <laughs> But there's even there's even kind of a like I was there's even just like a second in the film where you just kind of look at your hairline and it's a second yeah and it just like it completely sets up it justifies the entire thing <laughs> that's funny I think that's probably the one moment in the whole script that I uh, that I improvised nice. that, that wasn't written by Ryan you know some movies you improvise quite a lot like like the movie that I did with Anna fifty fifty yeah you know that's their whole style Seth and Evan Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg their whole thing they're comedy writers and so they you know they write the script but then they're always like 
trying new things and like, all right, let's do another take and just try something else, see what happens. And, um, you know, that's a great style and it, uh, but it's different, you know, than Ryan's style is he writes these very carefully and extremely well-worded scripts and they're very economical and, and very particular and very, you know, stylish in how everything's worded. And so you don't improvise, um, at all really. Uh, but that, that one moment in the mirror you just brought up, that was one thing that uh, I was like, ha, I came up with that. <laughs> and it totally, it, like I said, it's one second of the movie and it just totally like, then you go, okay, yeah, right. I, I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. Pro- a, lot of, a lot of improv with Nolan on uh, Inception? Like, no, oh, let no. me try something. Yeah, not not much improv on, <laughs> on a Nolan set either. Do you, do, you, do you like that or do you sort of feel, I mean, I think some people, like some actors I think feel... I think it's more of a challenge to have to do someone else's words rather than like, oh, well, I can just however I feel like doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that you don't bring your own self to it. You still do. You just, it's, I guess it's improv in a different way. You're not improvising the words, but you're still improvising, in a, you know, or trying to make it organic with what you actually do, how you feel, how you say a line. I mean, all those little subtleties are really what, you know, make the difference. And so... Well, I think that's that's also it's something that I've never been able to figure out. I am not a great actor, so but but just it almost you know like taking someone else's words, it just feels like oh I have to put this suit on and I don't know how to make this suit fit because I I as a person would never say that. So how do you find you know like how do you find the essential quality of that character that justifies in an organic way you know what the words are? Well, first of all, the writing has to be good. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what. What experiences you're talking about, but maybe the writing wasn't so good. Uh, engineer like number two and Terminator yeah. three. <laughs> you probably recognized me when you sat down. <laughs> probably, probably. Well, I don't know. How was the writing? Was the was it well? It was written? actually all right. Yeah. It, it all I made. Didn't see that movie. Well, it all made. Uh, let me just tell you. Spoiler, oh, wait, I did see Terminator three. Sorry, man, I don't remember you. Spoiler alert: the, the <laughs> robots take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, Terminator three or four? Terminator three. Terminator not Terminator Salvation. Right, Terminator three. Terminator the last three. One with Arnold in the it. last one with Arnold in right. it. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that. But T2 is really the one. Oh, my God. It still holds one, up. So the, yeah, yeah, really. I haven't I, seen it in a while. It's, it still holds up. Like, even the effects from like 92 or whatever it right. was, it's still like those, you know. That, what, what, do you, do you, were you a sci-fi fan when you were growing yeah, up? Yeah, always. I was always a sci-fi fan. My dad is like a Trekkie, and, you know, oh, nice. for sure. Uh, but um, I remember seeing T2 when I was young. And I remember that really being the first time that I was exposed to the idea of nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm. And it's scaring the shit out of me. <laughs> and, uh, and I always think of that as an example. Like, that is something that you should be scared out of, you know. Right. And, and that's, that, to me, is a great example of a movie that's completely a pop movie, completely entertaining, and yet is kind of doing something positive. Is like, putting out there this warning that, like, hey, there's there's nuclear bombs out there and it's probably something we should do something about as a human race, you know? It's well, not okay also we have all these nuclear bombs. Yeah, there. but also the other messages don't empower the robots. <laughs> right, and that, that that's actually a really good point. You're right. And there are there's a bunch of those sci-fi movies that are sort of anti-technology in that way, aren't they? Well, it is it's sort of the it's the commentary on humanity of uh I mean when you when you really when you really break it down, it's uh hey Americans let's not be slobs and lean on convenience too much because when you relinquish control to the robots for convenience sake, that's when the robots crush your skull. Right, right. There is a good robot, though. Arnold's a good robot. Arnold's a good robot in T2, so, yeah. So not all the robots are bad. No, no. The, the robots are what you make them. Right, right. And they, right. Were able to, they were able to make one adorable... Oh, when that big guy goes into that that molten pit, yeah. the thumbs up, <laughs> the thumbs up, <laughs> not a dry. Order you not to go. <laughs> Stop it, please. <laughs> I have sorry, to do sorry. this. Sorry. <laughs> Don't you think when 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 Schwarzenegger left office that that should have been yeah. how he like <laughs> there should have been a pit right in front of the that governor's mansion? That whole thing was embarrassing. Just, I'm from California. Just that, the that head, too bad to just the head going down. But, uh, <laughs> I order do, you not do, to. Do you think the robots are gonna take over the world? Uh, eventually, yeah. I mean. You know, it's just the lines are becoming blurred. I mean, people are living these, you know, these digital, uh, you know, like we, the whole idea of the matrix is in a roundabout way starting to happen yeah. in the sense that people lead, 
you know, completely separate lives online mm-hmm. and how soon before some sort of a software bug gives those uh, those digital avatars some type of consciousness. Right. And then they start making decisions. Everything's automated. It's right. it's going to happen. We are going to turn into the to Cybertron right. at some point. But it's just a question of how how we let it happen or how we make it happen. Not yeah. let it happen, how we make it happen. I don't know. I like to be optimistic. I think that that could be a really cool thing, that that's sort of the... With all the dire circumstances running around these days, if anything's going to keep us from going extinct, it's going to be miraculous technology that sure. that sort of you know helps us figure it out. Well, it is that double-edged sword. Like it's your best friend, but mm-hmm. but be warned. It's like you know Prometheus and the fire. You know, right. it's like right, be right, warned. Right. Sure. Well, uh, if we keep using it just to make money, then we'll probably kill ourselves. And that's all. Oh, I was going to say that was awesome. Shit. <laughs> See, I'm the first one to go, man. <laughs> you might be a robot. You're a robot. Maybe. Handsome, y- young looking, good performer. You're not a real person. People like you don't really come out of other people. They are created in laboratories. <laughs> All right, you got me. <laughs> That's how the robots go. All right, you got us. Yeah, all right, sorry. We're gonna fucking kill you, yeah, but, <laughs> but uh, you, got no way, you got us. Good one for you. <laughs> uh, but I, but I always, you know, the 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 people that I meet who were who were actors as kids, who who grow up and end up being okay. I always feel like yes, you know, like I feel like you can have it, like you and Neil Harris, like just grow up to seem to be like nice guys. Like, wh- sure. what do you what do you attribute what do you attribute your your crossing over to? Uh... Well, first of all, thanks. I'm glad you think I'm a nice guy. So far. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I don't know. My parents are really cool. I think that has probably the most to do with it. Uh, and they never taught me to, you know, be going for the fame and fortune. They never made it about the money or status or anything like that. It was always just something, acting was something I always loved to do. And they encouraged me to do things that I love to do. Yeah. And they never pressured me into doing it. So I don't know. I, I guess that's kind of what happened. I think when you when you start focusing on some of the other accoutrement that can accompany uh, an acting career, that's when you uh, get into trouble. Accoutrement sounds like a robot word. <laughs> you best hey, you, be. What did you say earlier? Cadre? I said cadre. Oh, uh, oh my God. No, here's the part. Here's the M. Night movie where I find out I'm the yeah, robot yeah. <laughs> and everyone else isn't human. Um, but it, I always wonder where the shift happens because when you're a kid and you're acting, you're not really thinking about the craft of acting. You're just kind of pretending, I assume. But at a certain point, you really do kind of, st- I assume, step out of it and then really approach it more as a craft. Or d- Does it feel like that way to you, or is it just sort of like a natural muscle that's exercised? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I had one, I only ever had one acting teacher. I never studied other than with this one guy, and it was when I was quite young. I was like seven, eight, nine, ten when I was taking classes with him. His name's Kevin McDermott. And, uh, he really taught us like he didn't treat us like kids. He he taught us like actors, and he didn't use I guess the words like I never knew who Stanislavski was right. or any of that stuff. But he taught us, you know, to approach it like a craft. I guess to you know think about what would it. Oh, there's that Muppet guy you were talking. About. <laughs> there's Kyle. There's Kyle Clark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said I, I said our show uh, uh, PA Kyle Clark looks like a Henson walkaround Muppet. <laughs> He's just sort of like his hair flops and he's got the big beard and he's like, hello, can I hang out with you? Like he, he just kinda, put his face up to the window. That's, that's why, so it's yeah, distracting. That's that's exactly. Now, uh, see, Kyle would be a great robot plant because uh, no one would suspect it. Because he's so cuddly. Yeah. And then you go to hug him and then you fucking and then crush your spine. <laughs> and then it's all over. But uh, yeah, well, that, so anyway, to get back to my original point, um, I was I was talking about uh, you're talking about acting and you were saying like yeah 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 so this teacher he used to teach us stuff like becoming a character and like you know uh, considering your character somebody different from yourself and what would that person do in that circumstance and where is that person coming from and teaching us stuff like backstory and you know things like that so I always really did sort of approach it like uh, an art and a craft even when I was young and I hated doing commercials and stuff because I would even when I was seven I was like that's not acting <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I was right <laughs> but you really have to pretend to like a thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a pile of money they just make us look stupid oh, I gave up on commercial auditions so long ago because I just I mean you know, like there are people who just book 
Like some people just book commercial after commercial after commercial, and I'd you know I'd go in and be like, I love Fritos, and yeah. like fucking get out, yeah, get out of here, yeah. And it just it is so, come on in, Kyle Clark. Thank you for thank you for mashing your face up against the window, Kyle. Hey, dude, how's it going, Kyle? Joe, nice, nice to meet you. Man. How's it? How's it going? Good. I couldn't not shove my face against. It's a plate glass window. Oh, good. Of That's, course. You know, the court says I can still do my face. Uh, <laughs> Kyle's uh. Kyle's uh, on probation for uh, a lot of things. Why do, let's not commit it to tape. Why do we need to repeat <laughs> said acts? Does it make you feel better if you know we're not recording on tape because this isn't 84? Okay. <laughs> uh, all right, Kyle, sit there politely and, and, and be nice. All right. Okay. Uh, this is Joe. Hey, this is, this is Kyle. You. And you. Uh, we were just bowling together, but Kyle was on our bowling against team. The JPL against guys, the you said? JPL That's guys. Really cool. So cool. It was fun. It was really fun. Man, they just landed a thing on Mars, right? Didn't help their bowling skills. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they do kind of look like the A-team. Do they? And that's exactly who you want to have the group of guys who get to Mars. Are they young? How old are the guys that are doing that? They're ranging in age. I think Bobak, the Mo- Mohawk guy, Bobak, is probably, he's got to be like 30 maybe, 30, yeah. 31. Um, uh, and it, it is kind of like playing a video game, the way that they control it, or what? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a video game with a lot of extra math, but but ultimately, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, they are, they, and a lot of stuff is 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 auto programmed, and then you know uh, other things they can control. Um, and are they are there separate guys to operate the controls as opposed to the guys that like design and engineer the things? Are there special yes. pilots that they're just good at skilled like? They're like eight-year-old kids who are really good on Xbox. Right. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> they just put them down there. It's amazing to me, like how well kids integrate and interface with technology. Yeah. Now, just even at like four years old, you see like tiny little kids just whipping through iPads. Oh yeah. Sure. Like they're already way ahead. Mm-hmm. They're already way ahead. Um, but I want to. That was going back to the thing we were talking about before. Do you find, is it hard for you, because I feel like actors have to be naturally sensitive because you have to be empathic in a way because you kind of have to get in other people's headspace. So how do you, how do you rinse the residue of like a day or month or six months of playing a character that, for instance, might be a bummer? Like, how do you not absorb that into your own personal life and kind of shake it off? That's a really good question. Um, And the answer is, it's, you don't always managed to uh completely rinse it off I, I there was one year where i played three characters in a row all of whom were really and like one of them was a sociopathic killer one of them had 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 suffered a a mild traumatic brain injury and one of them was a soldier going through ptsd and i played them right back to back and by the end of that year man i was i was a mess i was really fucked up my emotions were all cracked out i i I didn't feel anything very well, honestly, and 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 it was after that year that I started thinking about shit. Like I have to, I have to figure out another way to approach this, so I don't ruin myself. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was I, I once heard a story. This this one driver on a set once told me a story about how he drove Walter Matthau, mm-hmm. and um, and I wish I could remember what movie he was talking about, and I don't remember what movie he was talking about. But apparently, he he told this story where Walter Matthau had to do this really, really intense scene. And before they started rolling, he was was telling this guy a joke. And uh, he was in the middle of telling this driver the joke. And then they said, all right, Walter, we need you. It's time. And he went and, and did the scene, like really intense, yelling, screaming, angry, dying. Like, like the scene is so intense that he's so mad that he has a heart attack and dies in the scene. And then he got up and came back to the driver and finished telling the joke. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember when the driver told me that story, I was like, fuck, man, I, I couldn't do that at all. Like, that's just not how I'd be able to do it in any way. If I were doing a really intense scene like that, I'd be, I'd be fucked all day. Uh, and that's how I do it. I wake up knowing that I have to do that scene and, and just allow myself no, no pleasure and, and, and don't let my mind go to any nice places and just... You know, it's a head game. You focus your head into that place. And um, and yeah, at the end of the day, it has taken its toll. And if you do a whole part like that for three months, 12-hour days doing that, it's it, it does wear on you. And uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't have an answer yet. Um, but, uh, but I do kind of look out for myself more than I used to. Yeah. Uh, like when I, when, I, when I was in 50-50... I I would I would consciously because I, I I spent all day 
telling myself I had cancer. So I would def I would I would actually I remember I I, I proactively went home and like reminded myself that I didn't. Oh my god! Uh, because I don't know I I'm maybe a little superstitious about sure. stuff like that. You know? Sure. So like I, you can will yourself into cancer in a weird way. You know, it's I don't I think it's powerful stuff. You yeah. Know? And uh, th- there's there's a lot to it and and I don't think we all understand it. I don't think we understand it all. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, there's necessarily like empir- empirical evidence for stuff like this, but I believe in certain kinds of magic and things. And, uh, and, uh, I, I don't believe it like I know how to use it or like I have seen anybody shoot a magic missile out of their finger or anything like that. Magic but I, missile. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, uh, as you play DD. I, yes, I do play DD. I was a f- fifth level wizard. Lawful good. <laughs> lawful good. Yeah. I tried lawful good for a while because I was boring. like, oh, I want to be a white hat guy. <laughs> I know, I know. Everyone wants to be chaotic good. Or you want to be like neutral evil or something. I like how you're bringing gritty realism even to your DD character. <laughs> See, I was just about to say magic is science we haven't figured out yet. Yeah. That's a good way to put but it. But I much prefer your DD. Yeah. Uh, I much, it's so funny when you it's just the nerd brain is is just automatically trained and the second you hear a, a certain juxtaposition of words when you hear magic missile you're like that's very specific <laughs> he must would you aim this magic missile at an owl bear perhaps maybe I would what armor class would that monster have what's your thank <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Well, you've just opened up, man. So here was I was about to go down the acting r- rabbit hole for a second, but do you, or do you still play? No, nah, it's been years since I've it's played. It's hard, right? It's really hard. I would be down to play. It's it, it's sort of like acting D&D. Yeah, when you have a really good DM and a, and a yeah. really good party, it is. The problem for me and the group that I played with is that we all started to get so busy and a good D&D game is like a band. If one person can't show up, no one can play really. And so you can unless, you know, they try to roll side missions or whatever, but it just sort of you just don't want to be that guy who's like, "I'm sorry, I'm the reason we can't all yeah. do the thing we want to do yeah, today." Yeah, you're right. It's true. It's different than basketball. One guy doesn't show up, you just you throw layups with someone else, so you know whatever. Yeah. With D and D, you're just rolling a twenty sided die, yeah. like miss, miss, <laughs> hit, miss, hit, hit. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the D and D. It's the perfect. It's the perfect uh, marriage of um, of fa- of fantasy and math. Just right, like you have right, statistics right. and you have imagination. Do kids play it anymore? Oh yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that that continues to exist. Like, like it's one of those timeless things, like buying a guitar. Like, you know, <laughs> despite whatever's happening, there are kids playing guitar in garage, and there are kids playing D and D in the back of a classroom somewhere. That's me at fourteen. That's what I was doing: playing guitar and, and playing D and D. Oh wow! I love to hear that story. Yeah. <laughs> you got to play against it. It's fun. I mean, it is a commitment. You know, like you you can do like a day mission and play for like a few hours, but you really need, you know, you need like a year. Of just every right, week. to really develop your character and whatnot. Actually, yeah, uh, Meltdown Comics. I work at the theater over there. They have the re- spot that's catty corner to us is an ongoing D and D group, wow. and they've been together for years. Wow! And it's funny because you'll see them, and there are times where they are all emotionally going through stuff that none of us know because uh-huh. <laughs> they're just having, and you'll just see people walking out torn apart, and they're just like. We'll get to this in two days, but I got a lot to think about. If you have a character that you've been playing for like a year and it dies, yeah, it is a piece of you have yeah. died. <laughs> sure, sure. Wow, yeah. they must have a really great DM. If oh, like that. That, that that whole gang uh, are are just amazing to watch. Like they are dedicated on a level I've never seen a group wow. of D and D. Like they are hardcore. Wait, do the people that are listening to this understand at all what we're talking about? This is the Nerdist podcast. Not yeah, not only do they understand <laughs> what you're talking about, I think I just heard the collective goosh of a thousand nerd. <laughs> Girls <laughs> squeeing in delight that you just said DM, <laughs> and you didn't mean direct message. That's on. That's on playback. I now. That. The, the Twitter sort of stole DM. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna send me a dungeon message? <laughs> oh, you mean a direct message? <laughs> but I think it's a. Uh, you know, for anyone, I think D&D is a perfect game for imagination, and certainly for actors, you know, like, what yeah, a fun, absolutely. it's all theater of the mind stuff. Yeah, you create a character, it's, it's really like that, that's what, uh, you know, good acting, that's what it is, you create a character, you come up with where they're from, what their parents were like, what, you know, what, what their strengths and weaknesses are, yeah. you know, and et cetera, and, uh, and then you act it out, and, and um, 
that that really is D and D. I don't know. It's funny. Some some people I don't think really know what D and D is. They've seen the board games and the computer games and stuff, and they yeah. think it's like a board game or a computer game. And it's hard to explain to somebody that's never seen it done that it really isn't there. There isn't anything to buy really like <laughs> <laughs> maybe some dice i think it's clustered in with like warhammer and right. uh, uh magic magic the gathering, gathering yeah, yeah sort of of fringes and it's more abstract than that uh, yeah but sure. with magic you know you have you have cards yeah. but with D like you can you just you know, need you can, graph paper you, you just need yeah, graph paper, paper. <laughs> and then just like just like a, a velvet bag Right. And some and some fun and, and some, some dice. dice, you know. Did you you know? see Funyuns in the middle there. Nope, and Funyuns too. You need Funyuns, but your dice do have to be in a velvet bag. <laughs> they have to be <laughs> in a velvet bag. I started using that as an insult to people. Sometimes I go, "Hey, what's up, dice bag?" <laughs> started using dice bag as an insult. But it's uh, you know, sometimes you might have the painted figurines. Or whatnot. I never played with the figurines. They don't really. I mean, it, it just sort of gives you, you know, if you have a map, it just kind of gives you a somewhat of a visual re- a, a, a right. representation of of what's happening. There's a lot of fun, like you know, role playing games. Like Dragon Age is really fun. Um, uh, it's it, it's it's not just D and D. And when I when I grew up, there, there was a little D and D boom when it first got popular. There was also like Boot Hill was the Western one. There was a Future one. Like there were just like role playing games when uh. we just basically had. When our video games were squares shooting lines at squares, you know, like we had like RPG right. type games. Right. Um, imagination was at a premium then. Yeah. <laughs> that was just the top of imagination's time. We don't have to imagine anything anymore. Oh, no. I'm, I'm looking at you and I almost can't imagine you. <laughs> like, that's how crutched I am on technology. I'm going to need to see your avatar if I want to know who you really are. <laughs> Can we do this while playing Halo, guys? Yeah. Just, would that be all right? Can we do a LAN party? Room. Let's do a LAN party podcast. Uh, I think, you know, the whole, the whole performer mentality, I... I do you find it's that relationships are challenging if, you know, like, because unless someone is another actor and even then you run the risk of, oh, well, they're having their emotional thing that they're going through with their role. Like, it, right. I feel like performers that we're a hard group to date. That's interesting. Uh, maybe you're right. That's probably about as much as I'm going to say about that. <laughs> uh, can I ask a question? Because you were talking about the in, in intensity and sort of getting into it. Were there actors or artists and stuff? Because there is sort of that proud lineage of the super intense artists. Like, were there guys right. that were... Who were your guys that you sort of looked at and went like, well, they went through the, the pain and intensity yeah. process? Yeah, like I watched all of Dustin Hoffman's movies when I was younger. And I mean, I just this just this last year, I got to work with Gary Oldman, who I think is one of the great chameleons, as well as, uh, well, and Christian Bale, too. And, and that uh, little indie film, uh, The yeah, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, like Christian in The Fighter is just like unrecognizable he's so so good what about in the machinist where he's like well yeah that too yeah where he's he's essentially the size of like allison brie yeah (laughs) then there's uh i also got to work with uh daniel day lewis last year oh wow played abraham lincoln uh and i I have a a part in in lincoln and it's uncanny it's really uncanny watching him do what he does and i i love it i love watching people transform like that um and uh, I guess it is a certain sacrifice. I mean, he really, I, I don't, I, I only got to know Daniel a little bit the night that we finished shooting. I was lucky enough to be there on the last night. And uh, prior to that, I had never interacted with Daniel or heard his voice. I had only interacted with the president and called him sir. And I had gotten text messages from Daniel and, and a couple nice, really, really nice letters. Um, but personally, I had never met him until... That last night was the first time I ever saw him in just jeans and a t-shirt, drinking a Guinness, like having a good time, speaking in a British accent. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's really, it's really something. But did, it, did you play any jokes on him? Like, did you hand him a five dollar bill and go, "Here, you dropped your ID"? Like, <laughs> no, I didn't. no, no Lincoln pranks. I didn't do that. Actually. God damn it! <laughs> what was? I, well, I'm curious to hear. Well, I haven't heard his Lincoln voice yet. It's really something it's good. Well, he, and it's it's not what you'd expect it to be because Lincoln's voice was high historically. Yes, the, it's documented that Lincoln had a really high voice, but every time you ever see, a, you know, whatever, a cartoon or whatever with Abraham Lincoln, it's always four score and seven years <laughs> ago. The opposite. Made yeah, famous but, by Bill and Ted. But, yeah, that's right. You're right. That's probably who I'm imitating. So you're Lincoln saying Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln didn't say the amenity, the, the amenity of the Gettysburg Address uh, party on dudes? In my right. heart, he did. Was, yeah. But I think there were a lot of things about Lincoln that, that weren't necessarily the image that we have of him 
Like the beard was only something he had for a short period in his life, uh. and then his voice was like you said was high, and he was actually ca- apparently kind of gangly yeah. and sort of and so like like all these ideas. He had a beak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the other thing. Yeah. But uh, I'm so excited to see to see. Uh, it's a, his it's a great it. movie, man, and, and it's actually it's not a, a whole biography, so you don't see him without the beard. This movie Lincoln that that Spielberg directed that's coming out in November. It, it's just the story of this one brief interval of time where he's trying to pass the 13th amendment uh to the constitution to end slavery in the context of the civil war and uh you really do see him being a human being with all the flaws and hypocrisies and compromises that he has to make yeah um coming you know people coming at him from all sides telling him he's a terrible person (laughs) and and that he's doing the wrong thing and him sort of s- staying the course and, and figuring out how to navigate all this shit and, and get the right thing done. I mean, when you peel back the layers of the mythos of Lincoln, you really, you know, I, I think it's important for people to see the humanity of Lincoln more than just the icon that's exactly. Lincoln. Because I think people can relate. I mean, like, you might want to strive for the icon. <laughs> uh, bless you. Or science. Thank <laughs> you, thanks. Um, I say science sometimes. But, uh, or, or, you know, but I think when you... That he was a uh, you know an anxious guy, a depressed guy, yeah. was in a shitty relationship, right. you know, and and had to sort of stand alone in this you know. Team of Rivals is a really great book. Well, that's what they based. Uh, they they took a part of Team of Rivals and uh, based the script off off that book, the Doris Kearns Goodwin. But yeah. Tony Kushner wrote the screenplay. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I didn't you know. realize that. Yeah, That's it's awesome. it's really uh, to be honest. It, you know, you hear that Steven Spielberg is making the Abraham Lincoln movie, and and you maybe figure that it's going to be uh, more um, just beautiful, uh, patriotic. You know, like what you're saying, um, the icon of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. But I I gotta hand it to Steven. He really, I think, took a smart approach to to this movie. And uh, and made something really specific and and intriguing and, and riveting. Uh, it's two and a half hours long, but it, it feels like a quick movie. It, it goes so. It's just so good. I love it. I'm really proud to be in it. When does it? When does the like, movie come out? It's in November. I forget the date. November 9th, maybe. Okay. Had you uh, um, worked on something that heavily perioded, if that's a word? Perioded. Like. <laughs> Because, like, just affecting process of trying to create that same intensity, but having that extra element of how would I my thought process be different based right. on this? Your grammatical syntax completely uh, just destroyed the I, the what was otherwise a really great question. Yeah. <laughs> when um, did, failed did, did, both my period? English degree and my education degree in one <laughs> run. Uh, I did a long time ago when I was a little kid. I was in a. I was in a well before Dark Shadows was a Tim Burton movie. First, it was a soap opera in the seventies. Yeah, then there was a primetime remake in the nineties mm-hmm. that no one really knew about, and I I was in that when I was a little kid. And so we we had uh, we did some perioded parts. Where, where <laughs> that was very polite of you to say the word guy. back to him to make him think it was okay, but it was not an okay word, Kyle. <laughs> um, but that was you know a vampire uh, TV show. Um, this was. This was probably this was the non-vampire Lincoln. Yeah, film. well, right. Uh, so yeah, I guess this is the first time I've really done a serious drama that was period, especially in in my adult life. But I would almost say I would almost argue that um, the Dark Knight is kind of a period piece in a way. I mean, it's it's sure. it's not it's you know it's it's very style. It's a stylized version of you know. Of, it's timeless. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it is it, it, in a way. It's. I mean, listen. I. It, you know. I think most people would be jealous if you just got to be Robin. But you get to be Robin. You get to be Cobra Commander. You get to be all these, <laughs> You're a Lincoln's son in the movie. Right? Robert Lincoln. Did his you read son, yeah. Assassination Vacation, the Sarah Val book? No. No. What's oh, that? Uh, she did this travel log where she went across the country looking at all these the, for all of the presidential assassination locations. Oh wow. And her chapter depressing. on it's, but it's. <laughs> Have you ever read Sarah Val before? No. She's a This American Life person. She's a Oh, I love This American Life. She's a kooky historian. Uh-huh. She's really great. But like the section on Lincoln and then because uh, Lincoln's son went on to work with McKinley uh-huh, and, right, right. and came into the McKinley administration as McKinley got shot. And so right, he that's right, carried that's through. Right. And it's really interesting because she uses Lincoln's son as the through line through a lot of these assassinations and his sort of emotional breakdown. Oh, wow. But okay, in a really I'll, I'll, kooky public radio kind of way. It's like called it's Assassination, assassination Vacation. vacation. Was the, is the book perioded at all? <laughs> or is it... Um... Uh, 
Is it contemporary? Yeah, it's contemporary. <laughs> Check and mate, Kyle Clark. Point well eleven. <laughs> uh, Looper's sort of a period movie too. Looper is kind of is kind of a period movie because it, it's essentially the the current timeline is what like twenty forty four or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, really fun movie. I I do love. I do love the kind of Bruce Willis idea of like he, you know, like every few years he picks just kind of a cool sci-fi thing, yeah, and and goes with it. He yeah. loved this script, man. I mean, he didn't have to do this movie at all. It's not the kind of movie that can pay him big bucks. Like, uh, he just loved it. It was so apparent his enthusiasm from the very beginning, and he showed up to work every day and just killed it. He's really, really good in the movie too. Yeah. Was it, that opens that opens this this, this, weekend. this weekend. Yeah. Can I ask you a really stupid question that I thought of earlier? Sure. When you were saying in fifty fifty that every day you had to go home and say I don't have cancer. Yeah. On Looper, did you have to go home and say I'm not going to become Bruce Willis. <laughs> no, man. <laughs> Are you kidding? I, I should be so lucky. To you want to become Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Yeah. Bruce Willis is one of those guys that makes you feel like it's okay to get older. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When you go, oh. he could still kick my ass, and he's fifty seven, and uh, you know. I could probably kick most fifty-seven-year-old ass, <laughs> but, uh, but not Bruce but not Willis Bruce at all. No. Yeah, he's uh, he definitely he is one of. Doesn't seem to age. Like it just seems to sort of stay. You know why? Good. I think part of it is because because he's been we've all, we've kind of known him as bald Bruce Willis for so long, and so much of how we perceive age has to do with. It's not like he had hair until he was fifty-five, and then it fell out. And we're like, oh look, he looks old. I mean, like he just he just he's always kind of had a shaved head, or you always kind of knew. And he's just he's he's maintained his general face shape, mm-hmm. uh, I so I right. think I think that's how he's transcended time. Good or analysis. He's a fucking robot, <laughs> or he's a robot. Bruce Willis should be a robot. What was the uh, surrogates? Oh, surrogates? I didn't see surrogates. Surrogates was a fun movie. Yeah, another really fun movie. What what else do you, do you want to? I mean, do you, do you want to go do more comedy stuff, or is it just are you in a period where you're getting more? You're more drawn to to take on dramatic roles. Oh, I'd I'd love to do comedy. In fact, I just uh, the movie I just finished shooting is one I I wrote and directed. What? And uh, yeah, man, yes. Uh, Congratulations! Thanks so much. Thanks. It's it's called Don John's Addiction, and it's a comedy. It's it's a very dark comedy, but it's a comedy for sure. Um, did you did you have to direct yourself? Yeah, yeah. I wrote a you know I'm I play John, who's a sort of contemporary Don Juan guy. And um, and I also wrote a part for Scarlett Johansson, and and she liked it, and and did the movie, and she's great in it, and uh, and Julianne Moore is also in it, and she's fantastic, and uh, Tony Danza plays my dad. Oh, thank nice. you for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not often you're like Joseph. Go- if you're in a fucking movie theater, you say Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Tony Danza. <laughs> and it gets the next one. You're like, uh, could you back up that last one? <laughs> Did that say Tony Danza? <laughs> he's great in it. He's really good in the movie, actually. He's such a sweet guy. Tony is. I, this um, is going to sound creepy. I uh, Two of the times that I did Kimmel, Tony Danza was co- coincidentally on both times. That's funny. So I've shaken his hand twice, and I reconfirmed this the second time. Softest hands in Hollywood. Uh, interesting. I'm trying to think back. I don't know if I noticed that exactly, but I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> he's uh, he's well groomed, that's for sure. He's very well groomed. He's a dapper gentleman. Did very, you know him? Did very, you know him before? Well, yeah, man. He's in Angels in the Outfield. Oh, this is yes, like, of yeah. course. So this is like our our twenty year, literally twenty. Well, nineteen year reunion because I was twelve when we shot Angels in the Outfield, and I was thirty one, directing him as my dad. Oh my God, Don John's addiction. Yeah, it was it was momentous. How was the experience for you? Like, is it you know if because at a certain point, once you work with guys like Nolan and you know you do these big films and you and you come out of it okay and everyone says great job and you feel like you did a good job, you have a certain amount of confidence when you walk onto a set as a performer. So what (laughs) was were you able to translate that? Because a director needs to know what he's talking about. Were you able to (laughs) absorb that confidence for that? Yeah, I think so. I hope so. I think it went well, and, and but it, it's interesting you say that because the other thing a really good director does, and and Nolan does this, Ryan who made Looper does this, and and Steven does it too. No matter how confident you are and how thorough a, a, a preconceived vision you have for it, you have to be flexible and you have to be open to spontaneity and collaboration, and and uh, those guys are. So that's that's really to me the crux of a of a director is that decision of okay, am I going to stick with 
what I thought it should be or am I going to cut bait and go with the new idea? And that decision, you have to make a hundred of those decisions all day long. Yeah. And um, how you make those decisions, I think, is kind of right at the heart of what a good director is. Is there a science? Because, you know, you, you're able to pick good movies with good directors that turn out well. And it's very hard to make a good, it's very hard to make a good movie mm. for a lot of different reasons. So is is there a science behind that, or do you just have sort of a gut thing where you go, I just feel like this is going to be a thing, or do you do you actually have a formula? <clears throat> no, there's definitely not a science to it. I don't think. I mean, there's certain things you can look for, but there's counterexamples all, all along the way. So no, I think it is something kind of more implacable that uh, you know. That's, I guess, the difference between art and science in a certain way, uh, or magic, that like you can't quite explain it, but it, you know it works. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Is there a character that you just sort of stuck in the back of your head where you're like, someday I want this guy, I mean, whether it's someone who exists or like just a type of a character? Is there, any uh, sort of, is there any sort of like acting muscle that you feel like you just need to tense? Well, I want to do a musical one day. I haven't found the right one yet, um, but... One day I'd love to do that. I love singing and dancing. And, do you, uh, do you, and, you karaoke? You karaoke guy? Sure, man. Sure. Really? Well, yeah. That's awesome. Why not? <laughs> I, I listen. I, I think I just wonder because sometimes when people get you know sometimes when people get really successful or really famous they just get super withdrawn. They're like, I can't. I have to. Then people are gonna you know like right. it's like how do you how do you I guess you've been doing it for so long that this is just like it doesn't really matter. Also, when you're. Uh, when you're as good as I am at karaoke, then you sure. don't worry oh, about shit. it. Oh, shit. Right. <laughs> Somebody just dropped his karaoke dick on the table. What's your song? What's your song? Uh, you'll have to wait. You'll have to wait and see. Damn it. <laughs> Redo it. turn down. You know Chris is, is, he does not mess around with his karaoke. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, no. Kyle, please. <laughs> False modesty. <laughs> you need to bring your assistant in here to say that for you? Is, is that no, this I, is? I, 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 I was a total happenstance that we stumbled upon the, the karaoke, which I happen to be good at. Which <laughs> Kyle, uh, I'm just saying, he pulled, throws down a whole lot of love. And wow! You oh, get a, really? Led Zeppelin, little little Zeppelin. You know what wow. though? Can I tell you that podcasting has ruined karaoke for me because I do so many, I do so much talking in a week between podcasting and stand up that I just lose. You know, like I'm if I'm doing stand up, I'm talking for an hour, hour fifteen minutes on stage oh, with podcasts. Sure. I'm talking for an hour. <laughs> and you just can't do that and then go, like, screech. I didn't realize how much, like, singing tears apart your throat because I hadn't sung in so long. And recently I was at something and I sang with somebody and just was tore up but the next day. what did you day. sing? Like Nirvana? I no, mean, it was just, <laughs> yeah, it was some, some punky rock That'll out, tear up yelling throat, and screaming. Yeah. The it, punk it's so fun. But, yeah, but right. the next day, you're like, right. oh, I forgot. All I need to do in life is talk. <laughs> it was, knowing Kyle was probably Black Flag. Yeah. But, it, but along those lines. your throat is a muscle, so it's essentially the same as if you you know you picked up a weight off the ground and then just started doing curls as fast as you could a <laughs> hundred times, and you'd be like, I can't move my arms. That's, That's, That's what you're true. doing to your throat. I think we have to find you a karaoke movie. For I feel sure. like the nerd audience will find you a D and D musical. <laughs> oh my god, it's called Chaotic Good. It's Labyrinth, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Oh, I fucking feel like we'll Labyrinth do for a remake or a sequel on Labyrinth. <laughs> we can do a sequel. I think we got a, a you know Jareth's uh, son. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. we work with the like our, our YouTube. Channel, we're partners with the Henson Company, so we have oh, we have access to <laughs> we can all make of that. This happened. Wow, man! We could we could make <laughs> a musical labyrinth video with you <laughs> as doing your best Bowie that character. Good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> have to practice with one of those glass balls. With the glass balls, yeah. Michael Motion. That was the the, the, the famous juggler. Michael Motion did the uh, did the ball routine. Um, good, good, good. Well, as long as you don't mind, we're making some very interesting plans for your <laughs> career. Your agent's probably going to have a lot of questions, but let's just all go with it. All right. okay. Did um, you do musicals in high school? Uh, I was in musicals when I was much younger than that. Uh, like community theater when I was like as early as I think five, six, seven, eight. I was like in little kid, you know, productions of Wizard of Oz and Guys and Dolls and Peter Pan. Where was like that, that kid who was just. You know, flipping kids off and getting that lead in Oliver. <laughs> uh, 
Because that is the coveted I kid role when not. you're in community theater. Uh, no, I, played, I, never, I played Oliver. But the Arkham Dodger is a, is a better part. Oh, he great. is a better part. Yeah. Oliver's one note. Yeah. <laughs> I played Oliver in, in junior high. What a fucking snore. <laughs> the Artful Dodger got fingerless gloves. He got to be dirty. He got The, the Artful Dodger was chaotic good. <laughs> is he good? He is good. He I'll call him chaotic is, neutral. You think so? Yeah, sure. I think he starts as neutral, but then he arcs to good. Throughout the course of... All right, I'll of, admit, I don't remember the, the uh, whole story of Oliver as well as you do. Well, he... he uh, <laughs> well, it's not like I watch it all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but Ol- Oliver Twist never changes throughout the entire fucking story. He's Waffle just this, this toe-headed, like... Scamp. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. scamp that everything just happens around, and the world has to adjust itself for him. Like, he doesn't really do anything. The Artful Dodger is a much better character. Yeah. Jack sure. Wilde in the film, super cool kid. True. Um, that's a that's a wow. Why did I just admit that I played Oliver? <laughs> You're screwed now. I was. I, I I had a I had a total fail when I played Oliver to the opening night of the show because uh, I'm sure everyone's interested. I there was a soda machine and I had gotten change from my mom and I didn't. But then I didn't have time to go get the soda, so I had change in my pocket. And there's this one scene where Bill Sykes yanks up Oliver out of this box and all this change flew out of my pockets uh, during during the performance, which was bad for the character because he's supposed to be a penniless orphan. <laughs> and then all this change spills out. He's old now, don't us. <laughs> so, uh, but um, I, uh, I think it, there is something, there is something for you uh, in the D and D world that I would like, that I would like to see happen. Or if you just want to play D and D sometime, we should all, we should a bunch of us just get together for a day. I know some Yo, they comedians. Should do, they should do like a a D and D podcast. That would be. I'm sure there are several. I we, we I, listen to people play D and D. It's well, you you have to listen to good people playing D and D. Yeah, they'd have to be really good, or else it'd be boring as hell. Because you when you you get spoiled by a good DM who really understands how to present things in a very theatrical mm-hmm. uh, way, in a very cinematic way. It was a good story. T- you need a good storyteller for a DM, not right. just someone who's good with rules. Right. And if you have that, and then you go to someone who's really dry, then D&D sucks. So right. it all hinges on the DM uh, and the group. Agree. I agree. Um, so I, 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 I do want to mention one thing, and I hope if I'll totally cut this out if you don't want me to talk about this or mention this, but I have some friends who are, are big in the Burning Man community. Oh, yeah. And when we're huge fans of your brother. and Thanks, said dude. And said Dan was a, a – they loved him and said that he did amazing things for the community, and they – it's – it's a it's it's a nice group. It's that's, a real nice group. That's really right. Uh, no, and, and certainly don't cut this out at all, man. I I'm I'm delighted to talk about him in in that way. Um, it, it's true. I I went to Burning Man. I didn't get to go to Burning Man this this year, but I went last year, and uh, people were just coming up to me constantly and being like, "Your brother changed my life." Just wanted to tell you. Yeah. Like all the time, and it's really it's it's really true. He's a very special guy. I think outsiders kind of look at Burning Man and they go, "Well, just go to the desert with a bunch of hippies." And you're mm-hmm. like, "But when you, when you realize what it is, it's 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 like this kind of tight knit group of people who really support each other." Yeah, and it's it, it it's really kind of a beautiful. I had to get all mushy, but it's kind of it's kind of a beautiful thing. It's like it's you know people come together in, in an environment that humans should not be right. in the desert. That's right. There's no life there. And There's they, not even bugs can't even survive. And there. they bring life to it. They support each other yeah. and and with with creativity and with yeah. and you know and, and there's with, no money. Everyone's just like loving on each other and bringing art and making art and and supporting each other and encouraging everybody to become the best version of themselves that they can be. Yeah. And uh it it absolutely changed his life. I mean, I remember when he first went and he came back just so different and I went the next year cuz he was so excited about it. And uh it really is. It's it's kind of, I don't I don't know. I I've been well like I went 2 years ago just briefly, but um I don't know. Everyone said it was different this year. And I don't I don't know if that's true or not, but uh it's kind of the most beautiful party I've ever seen. Uh, it's just because it's all art. It, there's no like, there's no profit. I mean, I guess someone's turning a profit somewhere, but hardly. I don't. think. Well, there's no I, pretense. I mean, like, there's no, there's no. It's not like Burning Man brought to you yeah. by Snapple yeah, or right. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's. No, it's true. Uh, everyone's just. Exp- it's all about finding the most awesome part of yourself and bringing it out. Yeah, and that's that's where he became Burning Dan. Yeah, and uh, you know he was he was uh, he was shy when he was younger, um, always like super smart, and um, 
and and really funny, but sort of introverted. And Burning Man was really the turning point. I mean, amongst plenty of other things, of course, but uh, where he, I just watched him evolve as a, as a person so much and and become this really extroverted and um, and lovable dude. Like anybody who met him, just you, the the positivity would just radiate out of him. Yeah, and um, and I I do credit Burning Man in 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 a lot of ways for that. <laughs> no one has ever called this phone. There he is. Oh my god! I should have answered it. <laughs> it's all right. That would have been so. That would have been so amazing. Like, why'd they hang up on me? I got one call. What the fuck? I'm so. I'm so sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Man, I'm so I, I appreciate you bringing him up uh, like that. Um, no, I think and, it's. Uh, I think. I think it's. I. I think it's nice. And you clearly. You clearly have a lot of love for your brother. And you know. And I'm sorry that. I'm sorry that you lost him. And you know. And you. but. But I do think. You know, it's. I think it's heartening in a way that, where a lot of people may not. You have this community that kind of keeps them alive, and I and I and I, you know, I know that he's, you know, probably legendary in, in in that community, and that he'll always he'll always be a part of it. It's true, man. Yeah, he's Burning Dan. <laughs> have you ever thought maybe so, some type of documentary or some kind of uh, anything about? Yeah, I think about that all the time. I have all of his hard drives, and uh, oh, wow. you know, he he. We started this thing. Or he helped me kind of start this thing, or we started it together, or whoever, whatever you say, but uh, called Hit Record. Yeah, um, which is a and, great thing. Oh, thanks, man. Really Thank you. Really cool. Thank you. Well, a lot and, of the uh, profit goes back to the artist. That's right, yeah. And, um, well, it's, it's become this kind of collaborative production company now where everybody can log on and, and contribute to these projects that we do, and then when we make money, we split the profits and, and uh, send checks out to contributing artists. Um, but before it was that, and that's only like two years old that it became this professional production company thing. But for a number of years before that, it was just this kind of thing that my brother and I would say to each other. Um, and it represented just kind of being creative. Uh, the record button became this kind of symbol for, for doing that. And he took it really seriously. <laughs> he hit record like all the time. He has like just I, I have this huge container of full of hard drives of photos. He took tons of photos and he also recorded a lot of audio um, of just like conversations that he had. And um, for sure, it's I, I do consider it sort of a, a project I'll be working on for the rest of my life, kind of yeah. framing that stuff and, and turning it into art. And, and you know, it's it's difficult, to be honest, at this point to work sure. on it. And I know that it'll get it'll get more doable over time. Sure. Um, but uh but absolutely like and he's always he's always in I, I, he's in a lot of hit record stuff you know like if if for no other reason than just his spirit is there like we actually sent this last burning man well the burning man where i went um which wasn't this most recent one but the one before we sent the first i i brought the first copy of of our first anthology recollection up there and, and uh, put it in the temple for it to burn up, you know? And, and this last year we put the, the first pressing of this, we just made this vinyl record of music. It's the best music we've ever made. It's called move on the sun. And, uh, we, you know, I, I couldn't go, but I sent my friend, Jeff, Jeff Peff with, uh, with the first copy of the vinyl to go put it in the temple and burn up, you know, at burning man for him. And, uh, he's, he's very much still, you know, in it and there and everyone like everyone on the site if you've if you're sort of in the community um knows who he is and yeah. is aware like of his spirit he was so encouraging and so positive and uh that's still i think part of what happens at hit record people feel welcome and people feel uh unafraid yeah. to, to try things and and you know put their art out there um and that's very dan like He's always the one who was like bringing that kind of positivity to it, and so yeah. we, we, you know, we keep that going. And so, what is you know when? And maybe you haven't even figured this out yet, but you know, if there's one thing that you want people to take away from Dan's life and kind of implement into their own lives, what what do you think that would be? That's a good question. Um, well, like uh, one way to answer that would be uh, to mention his favorite book ever was uh, Green Eggs and Ham. Okay, <laughs> and uh, the lesson in that, but that's it's a truly brilliant work of art. I don't know when the last time you picked up a copy of Green Eggs and Ham was, but it's so brief and so eloquent and so fun, and the message in it is like so healthy. 
that you got to try things. Mm-hmm. Even if it looks weird, uh, if you try it, you really might like it, you know. And uh, that's him, and that's him at Burning Man, too. And he tells this story about when he started spinning fire. Um, he eventually became, I would argue, the best fire spinner that I've ever seen. Um, uh, but uh, I guess I'm biased, but ask a lot of people. He he really was like a special artist when it came to spinning fire. And he he tells a story about how he never used to think that he was the kind of guy that could do that. Because he was the kind of guy that would maybe just, you know dress modestly and you know he he worked on computers and stuff and you know has sort of a a quiet voice and and um wasn't the kind of guy that could light something on fire and spin it around and make everybody around all look at him um but at burning man he he uh he decided to do it and he got so good at it you know and it became this he became burning dan he started a school flow temple you know that that still exists and and like that's the people who tend to come up to me at Burning Man and say, your brother changed my life. It's it's usually fire spinners. It's usually people who he taught uh, uh, flow to poi, yeah. spinning poi. And um, and, uh, you know, you have to at you. The hardest step, though, is is sort of just trying it, you know, at the very beginning. You're like, I can't really do that. Give it a try, you know, like, I'm not going to like that. Those eggs and ham are green, <laughs> you know, but like, you know, at some point you have to kind of trust Sam I am and, uh, and let it happen. <laughs> well, and I think most people, and I think what we always try to tell people on this podcast is you just got to, you just got to, you have to do it. You have to try stuff. No one, when they start out, really has any for any more information than you have. The only difference is they just tried the thing right and you're gonna fall down right and it's gonna suck for a while but you will get better and you will appreciate the process and then before you know it then some kids come up and go how do i start doing that yeah just fucking start yeah you just have to try it yeah well that and that's that's so him man and that's and that is also hit record like that's the idea that um the hardest part is pushing the button to like actually get started and then you're recording and then you know then you can go from there and you can go back and edit it and you don't have to put it out there and you can like you can hit record again and try something new and like you don't have to it's not the end of the world you know and nothing really bad is going to happen it uh, doesn't have to it, be perfect when you start that's right it really doesn't and sometimes the imperfections the accidental imperfections a lot of times actually are what give things their personality and become their best their best okay, things absolutely. that's right um yeah. you know like when kyle put his face against the window yeah. <laughs> no actually that was the worst part of this part. <laughs> that was the worst part but uh but also um just that you know i i just i i like to kind of have this idea that once you start uh, even you you don't have all the answers up front you don't need to have all the answers up front but as you start down a path, answers really do reveal themselves to you, but you just right. have to be walking down that path. You have to do it, yeah. There's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Like writing and directing your own movie. Yeah, sure. Well, that's for sure scary. And like, I don't know. There's no way to prove that I can do it. I just, I thought I could do it. And, and I, I was lucky to have a lot of encouraging people telling me, you know, to go for it. And, and I did. Um, I think for anyone listening to the podcast, you might be like... <clears throat> You know, listen to these performers. I don't know who this character is. Listen to these performers talk. I have to. I work in a copper mine, and that's hard work and acting. And it's like, all I want to say to people is just try it. Try wildly fluctuating your emotions and holding them in some sort of a weird foreign stasis for eight hours, ten hours, twelve hours a day for months, <laughs> and then just see. If it's the easiest, I mean, you know, like we are emotional creatures and, and fucking with those knobs is a weird, you know, kind of a scary thing to do. Did you I notice this with directing that to me, the thing that always freaks me out with it is that everybody's like, so you have to make this decision. We're all waiting and money's right. going and you <laughs> yeah. just feel like you're trying to stop the sandbag that's spilling sand. And to get comfortable with that <laughs> is one of the most terrifying feelings. Yeah, that's that's you're absolutely right. That is that is being a director. Yeah. You have to be the one to decide. And, uh, you know, it's also true that sometimes you can do it both ways and decide later. And I think that's actually sort of the bane of movie making nowadays is because so much happens in post-production. Yeah. Uh, they're like, we'll just cover it. We'll cover it both ways and we'll see what happens later. And you can tell when you watch a movie that's really made in post-production. 
Um, Did and... you mean it was the bane of your existence? <laughs> oh, young Robin, come over here and give Bane a hug. <laughs> he has presents for you. Did you get to the last page of that Batman script and go, Oh, yeah. holy shit! <laughs> what the fuck? Is this a fucking joke? <laughs> like, did you have the same reaction as the rest of the American? Like, oh, yeah. no, I did. sure. Yeah, for sure. I totally did. And I was, I was like, not to brag, I was one of like four people that actually had the last page of the script. No one else had it. Christian had it, and I had it, and, and obviously Chris and Emma had it, and I think Wally knew. Um, no one knew. We were totally just keeping it a secret, even from people that were working. Yeah, because they, they, you just you shoot that scene by yourself. Yeah. So no one else really has to know until until the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, everyone in the crew got to see it. You must uh, have a Bane impression. Everyone's got to have a Bane impression by now. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're about at an hour, but uh, it's really been cool talking Man, to you. Man, what a pleasure. You know, I've been doing interviews now for way too long. Sure. Uh, because I, I happen to have, like, all these movies coming out at once, and it... Um, Interviews are usually pretty boring, to be honest. Um, it's so refreshing to get to actually. Have oh, a thanks, man. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. I appreciate it. It's good. To, it's good to see you. And Kyle, thank you for. Yeah, man. Thank yeah. You. Matt, nice Matt, and Jonah. We normally have two other co-hosts on the show. They are on a plane to Toronto because we're performing in Toronto tomorrow night. All so right. they, they, they unfortunately could not be here. But, uh, but again, thanks for coming on. And great. Yeah, good luck with Looper. Um, thank you. I really enjoyed the movie. And uh, enjoy your green eggs and ham burrito, everyone. <laughs> thanks again. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code Nerdist. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.